0: Upon you Jesus through the cross we are free. When you bow to me in prayer, Lord it's true, we confess it. It's the state of our heart all we are is yours, Lord. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for your amazing grace. You who are holy and enthroned, you who are powerful beyond measure. We worship you this morning, and we pray that this word that we get to study from you might help us to grow, to stand, to marvel at your greatness. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're continuing in Joshua today, and if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, we'll be in Joshua chapter 5, and it's the fall of Jericho, that's what we get to look at. But I'm hoping, as as we go through this Old Testament book, I'm hoping these stories that maybe you heard in Sunday school or maybe you've heard through the years, that that, that you would take a second look at them with me. They wouldn't be just, oh, yeah, yeah, the walls of Jericho, but you would, you would see the wonder and, and really the focus this morning that's not on the walls in the story itself. And you could see that. It's amazing. But I don't just want you to see the story. I'm hoping you'll walk out today impacted more deeply by the wonder that you get to be the Lord's. It's really important. It's important because oftentimes people come to me and they say things, and, and it echoes my own life. They say things like, why doesn't God help me more? Why doesn't he help me with my job? You know, my business isn't going like I'd like it to go. I've prayed a lot. Why doesn't God help me more? Why doesn't he help me with my children? Why doesn't he help me? Isn't God my helper? Doesn't it say in Romans 8 that if God is for us, who can be against us? Doesn't it say all things work together for good? And here I am struggling. Why doesn't God help me? A lot of times we slip into an answer that's something like, I don't know the pattern. You know, maybe I'm not doing enough for God. So if I'll do more for him, then he'll do more for me. That's a bad answer. But honestly, even the question is wrong. Question is the wrong question. If you would just see for a minute the mighty miracle that you get to be a part of, the wave that we get to ride here on earth and headed to heaven, and you get to see the power of God exercised on your behalf already, and you're in it, that starts to sink into your soul with humility and gratitude. That's what I want for you, and I want you to see it in our text. Let's take a look. It's it's Joshua, the walls falling down. But I want you to see it in three ways. We're going to look at God demonstrating His grace. We're going to look at God demonstrating his holiness and his power. But in there, think about where are you? What does he do for you? Okay, first, first grace. Here we go with Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. A lot of text. Follow along. This is an amazing story. It's a real story. As soon, verse 1, as all the kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea, heard that Yahweh, that's the name of the Lord, had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Hey, we, we know this. We looked at last week where God brought his people across the Jordan, and, and then the people of Canaan were already trembling, and now they're really lost and trembling. God did that. But this entire passage, very interesting, is about the grace of God. It's not scattershot, it's towards his people. And so do we want to be his people? What what is that? And why are you saying this is about grace? Well, let's keep reading. At that time, verse 2, Yahweh said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Oh, ouch. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gilbiath Haaraloth, And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Oh, yeah, I remember. Those guys didn't get to go in because they were so afraid, they didn't even think God was for them, and they got afraid of Canaan, and they wandered in the wilderness, right? Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they'd come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of Yahweh. And Yahweh swore to them that he would not let them see the land that Yahweh had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. You see how cool this is? The people of God that have crossed over and been brought into the land, these people that God has said are my people and they brought in, are actually not part of the sign of the covenant. you got to understand what circumcision was. It wasn't given to Moses, it was given to Abraham It's part of the market, the Abrahamic covenant, that you would be part of God's promises to Abraham, that God was going to make of Abraham a land and a nation and a people, and then there he is going to bless them. And these guys haven't even been it, and yet God's already brought them in? They've been disobedient. Because they were all supposed to have this sign, this outward sign. And so there they were supposed to have it. and, and, And they're in. And you say, well, man, yeah, those parents were terrible. These guys are adults now. They're not kids. Why didn't they do it? God doesn't say, forget you. He just, he has them do it, Right? And so what they're doing, the action of the people of God as they come into the promised land, that God's reminding them, wait a minute, you need to have the mark of you belong to me. That's what that mark was for them. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. The Lord said to Joshua, today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to that day. Gilgal just means rolled. There's not some special hidden meaning to the name. But, but this idea of, of they've been delivered out of the world and now they were gods. And the sign doesn't do it because God had already done it. I just think that it's really remarkable and you out of hide in your heart that they hadn't done it and God pulled them through the Jordan anyway. That's the grace of our God. It's not obedient first, and then God will do it. It's, it's the Lord does it that way. The other thing I want you to see, and just think about this, and I don't mean to go into dark corners that you shouldn't know. This is, I'm a medical doctor. If you're eight days old, this is not a big deal that you get circumcised. You're actually, your pain pathways aren't even fully formed. It doesn't really even hurt that much. I know. How do I know? I know because I would have kids that wouldn't even cry. Give them some sugar water, they go, they go. If you're 25, whole different animal. Doesn't just hurt. It's excruciating. Come, have some excruciating pain. By the way, you're supposed to go battle Jericho. That's our passage. We're going to go fight a war. So let's take all your fighting men and make them debilitated in their private area. (laughs) Thanks a lot. That's really going to help as we fight. It's not going to help, it's going to hurt says, oh, they healed up. That doesn't mean they're totally healed. They're going to be limping into battle. It means they're not bleeding anymore. So here they are. Like, oh, Lord, what are you doing? See, it's way more important that they identify with God than they're somehow prepared with strength. But it's not just that. It's While the people, verse 10, were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover. On the fourteenth day of the month, in the evening on the plains of Jericho, on the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. All these reminders, do you see it in the text? As they're headed to the biggest battle that they'll have, this armed city, the stronghold Jericho, and it's there looming, the elephant in the room. In the meantime, they're hanging out, remembering that they're they're God's people by circumcising again that they should have done already and they hadn't. And and taking the Passover, the Passover, this remembrance of their deliverance from Egypt that God did it. And the manna God provided for them, and, and now it says it ceased. But the reality is, is, that, is that God will continue to provide for them in the land of milk and honey. Look. Look, people sitting there. Look, people who will read this later. Your God takes care of you. He's done great miracles for you. Every day. I mean, that's what that is, right? That's even what circumcision, if you, think about, if you think about the sign given to Abraham and just settle it in your mind, why did they do that? Because it's closely associated with a particular miracle. What's the miracle? Sarah, who's like a hundred, has a child. The whole nation of Israel is birthed out of a miracle that someone in their old age has the child of promise. And so that's the marker for actually being connected to the God of Israel is that He created you out of nothing. He put His favor on you. You're nothing. And then the Passover. The, what's the Passover? Remember what the Passover was? The angel of death coming through Egypt, striking the firstborn and killing the firstborn all over. Except they'd taken these lambs, right? And they'd put painted blood on the doorpost so the angel would pass over. But, but really, the firstborn should have died. Who's the firstborn? They're standing here, plains of Moab. It's the kids. Totally saved by God. Do you realize as you get ready to go fight this big battle, do you realize that you are a total possession of God? You were birthed as a nation out of a miracle. You were saved from death by a miracle. You were given food every day, manna from the heavens. As a miracle, can you not see that God takes care of you? Remember it—the great grace of God towards His people. That's that's what you see. This is a, the, and they think, "Hey, this is our God." You <laughs> got, if you're one of His people, you're, you're, you're in here. God is gracious towards you and me all the time, isn't He? He's amazing. So he's preparing his people, I believe, not by strength of arms or military maneuvers, but by circumcision and Passover, by remembrance of his grace and his mercy, and that's God. He doesn't need your strength. You need his. We need him. It's not just grace, it's holiness. This God we have is so holy. Verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with drawn sword in his hand. I think this is starting the center of the story, so pay attention. What in the world is going on? I mean, this is a story, right? It's not its not remarkable that, jo- that Joshua would go look at Jericho. And the, the implication is he kind of went alone, and he's looking out at this walled fortress, this city, this place that he was familiar with. Why? He'd been there before. You remember the story, right? It's in Numbers 13 and 14. You should go back and look. And, and it's about the spies, the scouts going in. And, and Joshua and Caleb were two of the ten Ten people, uh, twelve people that went in, and and they went in one man from each tribe, and they scouted out the land, and they looked at Jericho, and and they looked, and so Joshua's looking again at Jericho. He's got to be remembering the, the the last time they were here. Joshua and Caleb came back, and they said, "This is a really fantastic land. It's full of milk and honey." And but man, these people—they're strong and powerful. Oh, but it will be ours. God will give it to us let's go. The other 10, right? They had a little different report. They said, you guys don't understand. These people are giants. Like we are grasshoppers. That's what they said. We're like little grasshoppers. And these guys are huge. The implication is, you know what? We're freed slaves. We have no military men. We have no military might. We have no military strategy. We got nothing. And these guys are huge. They're going to eat our lunch. People cried out against Moses, believing these spies said only if we died in Egypt. And so Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes. It says, don't rebel against the Lord by being afraid. That's what it says. Don't rebel against the Lord by being afraid. And then you see there in Numbers 14, the whole assembly got so mad they were going to pick up rocks and stone Joshua and Caleb. Moses had to intervene and Moses prayed to the Lord and and, and asked for forgiveness and the Lord forgave him but that's when he said nobody's going in. None of these people are going in. That's not the end of the story. This is why they've been here before because Israel said oh we've sinned, how terrible. Okay, we'll go take the land. We'll go take the city. We'll do it and they all get together and they went and they fought and it says there that the Amorites and the Canaanites beat them back. They lost. They lost. So they were kept out for these 40 years. And now Joshua, as he's looking over this this city, he's something like 80 years old. He's not a young kid. He's an old man. He's remembering now as an 80-year-old man when he was here last time. And the whole point was was in his heart was, don't be afraid. And now he's looking at this city. What are we going to do? My men are recovering from surgery. Weakened. How will it get done? And so he comes upon this man standing there with a sword drawn. An 80-year-old Joshua, he's faithful. He's not afraid. He comes up and he challenges him to his face. That's what he does. The battle has begun. We're about to take this. So choose this day who you will serve. He says to the man, do you see Joshua went up to him? And he says, are you for us? Or for our adversaries? doesn't recognize him. He's this guy that you have this flavor of. He's armed to the teeth. Are you for us or against us? That's your choice. Which side are you on? And the commander, the person there, he said, no. Wait a minute. That wasn't an option. Are you for us or against us? No. Non-sequitur. I reject them both. Well, Are are you for us or against? He says, I'm not the kind of person who's for or against anyone. People are for or against me. But he says, I am the commander of the army of Yahweh. Now I have come. This is the winning of the battle of Jericho. The coming of the commander of the army of the Lord. And he's standing there. Joshua fell on his face to the earth. He worshipped. And he said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Yahweh's army, he said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Joshua did so. So Joshua hits the dirt. And he says, command me. And the command is, get your, shirts, your, your shoes off because they're dirty. You're in the presence of the holy. It doesn't take very much thinking to realize this is an actual presence of God in the Old Testament. Because if you go through and you can look and you can read and you can read all the way through, if the angels that come, messengers from God, these beings that come and deliver messages, they will not receive worship. It's in a bunch of places. We won't even take our time, but you can go look up on your own. In Revelation, John sees the vision of the angel, and he falls to his feet, and the angel says, what are you doing worshiping me? I'm an angel. The people that will receive worship, the only one who receives worship is God. So this is God in the Old Testament. And and, and even you might go so far, I would go so far as to say, this is a pre-incarnate Jesus. Wouldn't you? God can come to earth in human form and deliver his people. This is very mysterious. He allows worship. No one ever does that except God. There's one person in the Godhead, if you think about it, whose specialty is to come to us and relate to us and be a channel between us and Yahweh. He is God and he is the way to God, Jesus Christ. You get pictures of him in the Old Testament. You get pictures of this holy God, but this one particularly, holding a sword. absolutely holy and and you get these pictures all the way through whether it's the burning bush or whether it's it's jacob who wants to meet god and he ends up wrestling you get job who wants to meet god and it's a tornado it's not a fuzzy warm experience god never appears as a teddy bear always strong a little fearful because the holiness of God, there's not a moral emphasis in this holiness right now. Holy is moral. But, but this holiness is greatness, otherness, strength. Our God, He's holy. He's totally something different, superlative. This is one of the reasons why in our text today, as you learn of God, you need to see everybody comes to Christianity. Everybody comes to God wanting God to help them. I have a broken relationship. I've got financial problems. I've got self-esteem problems. I've got, I, I need somebody to help me live life. God, God, are you for me or against me? <laughs> Will you help me, Jesus, with my problem? I've got a little problem. It's Jericho. Oh, need, I need some help. And Jesus says that's the wrong question. There's no conditionality. There's no, uh, there's no um, I'll obey you, God, if you help me, like you're master of your life and Jesus is your helper, your assistant. He says that, that's the wrong, wrong order. Are you for him? He has a drawn sword. you got to ask, why doesn't it come down on Joshua? The idea of a drawn sword dates back all the way to Genesis you remember out Adam and Eve, and they got stuck out of the garden. They couldn't come back in. Why couldn't they come back in to the presence of God and the wonder of the garden, the the, the, the land of milk and honey, if you will, because the angel was there with a sword. This is why, this is why you're flowing into this amazing thing that God, you see, the, the answer is God has set his mark on his people. God has saved his people. God has identified his people. It's the most important thing they can have is they're, they have the mark of the covenant, this old covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. They've got the Passover where God's for them. They've got these signs that they get to see all the way through that the Lord has them. They're his possession. The Lord's possession. This is kind of the solution to courage. You remember the miracle of grace. You have a warrior. You have a commander. You have one who's able and willing and fights. But it's not you. It's Jesus. He's not your helper. The question is not, are you, is he with you? But are you, were you with him? Is he your hope? This holy one. Because everything he touches, every common thing he touches becomes uncommon. Every unclean thing he touches becomes clean. Read the Gospels. It's incredible. Holiness. Not just holiness, but power. So let's look at the power. Chapter 6. Now, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. This is a statement of, of their they're just, this city is big and walled, and if none's coming out none's coming in, then neither is the army of Israel because there's no way to get over these walls. There's no real chapter break in the text, you know. This flows. So my understanding of this text is that this is the conversation that Joshua has with the commander. And we have a little parenthetical about the state of Jericho before this commander continues to speak, and he's referred to as Yahweh. Because he says to Joshua, "See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around this city. All the men of war going around the city once. Thus showed you for six days. He starts to go in, but stop for a minute because the commander continues to to, to do this. And the words out of his mouth is." He said no when Joshua asked him, but his his statement is, I have given you this city. Why does he do it that way? It's God's plan, you see. It's God's fight, you see. It's what God is doing. You get to be a part of it. That's super cool. Amazing. Miraculous, even. Because it's grace that you're even there. It's a miracle you're even alive. And you get to be a part of what God is doing in pushing out these other powers and principalities and peoples and all these things that's going on. Then he goes into what you're going to do. March around the city, all the men going around the city once, thus shall you do for six days, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. The priests shall blow the trumpets, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. The people shall go up, everyone straight before him. that's the plan let me get you straight you're talking about a little some guards and then really the ark and some priests around the ark and then they're blowing trumpets and we're just going to walk around you know the story doesn't seem absurd to you but it's absurd it's not normal I feel it, and this is God talking to Joshua, so what's Joshua going to do? I mean, okay, this is Joshua's thing. I'm i part of what God's doing. This is what God says, so this is what I tell people, and this is what he says. So Joshua, the son of Nun, he called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of Yahweh. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of Yahweh. That's what I heard. That's what we're going to do. So in verse 8, as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns, before Yahweh went forward, blowing the trumpets. With the ark of the covenant of of Yahweh following them, and the armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually. So that's this picture, right, of them. Actually, the trumpets, the noise happening, and the ark's in the middle, and some, some armed men before, and behind and Joshua commanded the people you shall not shout or make your voice heard neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout then you shall shout so the people were just to to be quiet I want a bigger role But so he caused the Ark of Yahweh to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp, and they spent the night in the camp. So this is the thing you did the first day, is you did this funky, weird train where you went around, and the, the sound's going out, and the Ark is in the middle, and guess who's watching it all? The people who are following, just silently. But not just them. They're grasshoppers. The people on the wall, who are giants. What are they thinking? Who are these crazy people? They're laying claim to our city, but they're doing it just by walking around? And they go back to camp. I would love to be a part of that conversation. Are we going to do this again? So then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of Yahweh, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of, the, of Yahweh walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of Yahweh, while the trumpets blew continually. I guess they're doing it again. The second day they marched around the city once, They returned into the camp. So they did for six days. Up we go, walk around, come back. Probably by day five I'm going, wow, this is accomplishing a lot. And on the seventh day they arose early. At the dawn of day, they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city. Seven times. And the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout! For Yahweh has given you the city. It's over. We, it's accomplished. That's the words there. Give a shout. It's, have you heard the words? It's all done to the shouting? That's kind of what he says. Wow! I'm ready for the walls to fall, but they, interesting in the text, they haven't fallen. This is the instruction of what to do. And so this last day they get up super early and they walk essentially now a marathon. Because now they've got to walk around. So it's not that doing what the Lord says doesn't... strenuous. <laughs> this is very strenuous now. They're going to seven times around just trying to be quiet. People looking at you. Maybe you're looking back at them. You want to say, I want to hear the result. I want to hear what the Lord has done. But we don't get that yet. First he goes into this little piece. And the city and all that within it shall be devoted to Yahweh for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. So shout, but wait a moment while I tell you a little soliloquy. Be careful. We'll talk more next week about devoted to destruction and what it means. Don't miss the message of what's happening now, which is the power of God. And in the midst of the power of God saving Rahab, we remember her. She's in the line of Christ. Wow. But all the silver and gold, every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to Yahweh. They shall be going to the treasury of Yahweh. And the people shouted. Oh, now comes the shout, verse 20. And the trumpets were blown, and as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Whoa. Absolute incredible miracle. The actual miracle is one verse. It's all about the the, the, the things going around it, right? an incredible miracle, and they did. They devoted all the city to destruction, men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys, with the edge of the sword. And, but to the two men who'd spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house. Bring out from there the other woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who'd been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her, and they brought her and all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel, and then they burned the city with fire, everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of Yahweh. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household, all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Way more verbiage to Rahab than to the walls falling down. God's at work. God's at work in the mighty miracle. God's at work in the small things. And in the midst of it, God's accomplishing what he wants them to accomplish. He wants these things destroyed. Unique thing. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed before Yahweh be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay the foundation. At the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So Yahweh was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. As usual, Joshua continues to be exalted. And this thing that goes up, you can read about it later. Jericho was rebuilt at the cost of someone's oldest son and youngest son. Destruction. What should you walk away with? This amazing story of the destruction of Jericho and how God did it. Certainly the grace of your God, right? Certainly looking and seeing, wow, God, God, God's allowing his presence and his favor to be on this people of Israel, even though they weren't circumcised, even though they hadn't kept the, the things that they're supposed to do. We have a gracious God. Certainly the holiness of your God, I mean, even the very place where he's standing, take off your shoes, he says to Joshua, certainly that. Certainly his power. Do whatever he wants and just crush the walls. God can do that. But here's the thing. You are not Israel. Not specifically as in here. God is not tearing down your Jerichos. You know? <laughs> Haven't you heard that? Just waiting for God to tear down my Jerichos. God's not tearing down your Jerichos as you march around them. That's not a pattern for you and me. Let's just go march around our enemy one day a week. And then on Sunday seven times no this is what i hope you walk away with you are valued and loved and cared for if you are god's people you know how you get to be god's people <laughs> trusting jesus if you are if you are there you are loved and cared for but god is not your helper to get done whatever you want you're not on the throne You and I, me too, I get to be part of something so marvelous, so massive, and and honestly, at the end of the day, mildly difficult to understand. Why? Because he's the king, and I'm not. But the reality of how the king came into my life and your life, and he says, I want you. Here, believe in in this amazing picture. And then he does it like you would never think he does his deliverance. He does his deliverance about himself, his kid, his only son, that he gets killed on a cross in weakness for you and for me. This is the most mighty act of of wonder that you've ever seen. And, And if you'll just receive it. You'll be part of this massive wave of the plan that God has for this world. Not up to you. Not up to me. So you know what becomes our currency all the way through? Is this trust? Is this faith? Not faith that God will get me a new car. Faith in Jesus. Faith in the commander of the Lord's hosts. Faith in the one who has so much more power Amazing in grace. Beautiful in holiness. You're riding a wave, a wave of God with power and might who's accomplishing exactly what he desires. We enjoy it. We're not discouraged when our own plans aren't his. We're amazed that he he carries us exactly where we're supposed to go and he works in ways we'll never reason out. He's a surprising God. He's real. Remember what he did. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this story in the Old Testament about Jericho. Lord, I know there's so much more than I understand in it. But Lord, we do see your hand. We bow before your might and power. We wonder at your grace. We are amazed at your holiness. Lord, today we we ask that you would open our eyes just a little bit more to the assured wonder that you care for us. We who are nothing get to be your people. We who have no hope have great hope because Jesus has done what he's done. We thank you for him. We are amazed and we worship in Jesus' name. Amen.